You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Thankful that we can get into the Word tonight as well for a brief amount of time, just to think about the cross, to turn our attention to the cross, to our Savior Jesus who hung upon the cross and remember that in him we have hope. And with that, I'd ask if you would turn to John chapter 19 with me tonight. John chapter 19, we will be starting in verse 1 there. John chapter 19, verse 1, read with me where it says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Pray with me. Amen. Well, we read here and pick up here about mid to late morning of Jesus' last day on the earth before he goes to the cross. And the events leading up to this moment have been extensive and significant, to say the least. I mean, for the past three years, Jesus has been on on the road, consistently moving, conducting his earthly ministry. And we know that it has taken him all over the land as he has gone and he has healed and he has poured into and he has restored and he has taught about the coming of the kingdom of God. But not just the past three years, but the past few hours, in fact. In fact, the past 24 hours for him. It's been a very significant time. As he there sent his disciples in to go and have the upper room prepared, to go and find the place where he could celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples, that that last supper. He sends them in, they find it, and we read just a few chapters back in, in the Gospels from this part about how Jesus is up there in the upper room with his disciples. You know, John tells us about how he girded himself as a servant there and washed the feet of his disciples taking the form of a servant, taking the position of a servant and lavishing that, 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 loving, that loving service upon them there and saying, what I've done, you do in turn as well, as he set example for them there. There also, there as they were at supper, he instituted the Lord's Supper, what we are going to celebrate and commemorate here in just a little while as he there broke bread and said, this is my body, take eat of it. And this is my blood, talking about the wine there, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. There he, he did that. There he also, we know in that upper room, told Judas, hey, what you go and do, do quickly, as Judas was to go and to get the religious leaders in the Roman cohort that was going to come soon to arrest Jesus and take him on to trial and then eventually to death. We know that Judas was sent out and it says in the Gospel of John that as he went out, it was night. Now, it was a dark moment as he moves out from there. As he moves to go and do the act, it was a dark time, and Jesus sends him on his way. 
Also, Jesus, in the hours prior to where we pick up tonight, he is there and he's talking to Peter. You know, he's talking to Peter, many of the gospels say, as they're on their way to the garden to pray. As he's on his way, he's talking to Peter and he's talking about how soon the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. And Peter's like, no way. No matter what happens, I will stay with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, tonight you will betray me three times. You will betray me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter, of course, denies that. But then, of course, he three times denies Jesus as well. Significant, significant prophecy and significant events that took, that took place. They're in the garden, a significant moment as well, as they're in the garden of Gethsemane, where we see Jesus pray and agonize there, really. We see, really, his humanity come out. As he is there praying and he's talking with the Father, something that he's done all through his life, he's there talking and he's agonizing. And he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, then let it happen, but not my will be done, but, but yours. And we know of the interchange there between him and his disciples. He goes to them and he's like, wait here and I'm gonna go a little bit further to pray. And then he comes back and they're asleep because they were weary. And he goes and he prays again and he comes back and yet they're still asleep. And we see there this agony that he has with the Father and with his relationship there with him. Luke 22 gives us a picture of this, a really descriptive picture of what Jesus went through and how not only his spirit, but his body was in agony there. In verse 41 of Luke 22, it says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Again, not just spiritual agony that he felt, but physical agony. There is the, the capillaries there in his, in his head would begin to burst under the strain. And so too would his sweat be mingled with blood there dropping on the ground. A picture of his humanity and how he was indeed agonizing in that moment. A significant time where he was realizing not only was the cross and the pain before him, but so was too the separation he was going to feel for the first time ever with God the Father. As he took on your sin and my sin there hanging on the cross. And then we see Judas and the cohort of soldiers coming there with the religious leaders. And they show up there in the garden and Judas has told them, the one whom I kiss, that is the one that you are to take. And the way that the text reads, it actually says that he comes and he lavishes kisses upon him. So they know that it was Jesus. And we know that there in the garden, he is arrested and he's taken from there to the house of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, where his midnight trial takes place. But then in the morning, after this trial has gone on, where he has, in the religious leader's mind, sealed his fate and they are determined to put him to death there. Here in the morning, you see, under the rule of the Roman government, the church, the, the, the Pharisees, the nation of Israel was unable to carry out capital punishment in that day. Rome had come in and assorted, asserted their authority and so too was the Jewish nation not able to carry out certain things. So they were not able to kill Jesus themselves. They needed the Romans to do it. And so early in the morning, they come to the Roman governor Pilate's and we enter in here with Pilate here. And he's, as they bring him to him, it says it's early in the morning. And Pilate is, is notably annoyed. 
He's notably annoyed, and for good reason, as, as really he was, was in a tense time there as the Passover goes on because a lot of people were there in Jerusalem, so he was there to make sure that riots didn't break out, and he knew that Israel hated him, and he hated Israel, and so he is annoyed off the bat, and they come to him and say, hey, we need you to take care of this. And he's like, no, this is not about Rome. This is not about me. This is about you and about your religion. So you deal with it. And they again tell him, we can't carry out capital punishment. And this man is a wrongdoer. We need you to take care of it. And so Pilate, not wanting to uh, cause any more commotion, he indeed takes Jesus in and he starts to interrogate him there. And he puts him on a trial and he says there, hey, okay, tell me what's going on. What's going on here? And Pilate there is speaking to him and he finds no fault in Jesus. He finds no fault in them and he tells them that in John 18, 38, as he goes to the religious leaders, he goes to the people and says, I find no fault in this man. And indeed, there was no fault to be found in Jesus. And they proceed there to all the more cry out, no, he must be killed, he must die, crucify him. And there he proceeds to try to make a trade of prisoners. As Pilate there on the Passover, out of goodwill, would, it, would release a prisoner back to the people. He says, hey, it's the Passover. Let me release unto you Jesus, your king. And they say, no, we want Barabbas instead. They wanted a robber and a murderer, a revolutionary leader, not the savior of the world. They didn't want the king of the Jews. They wanted a robber and they wanted the king of the Jews to hang on a cross. So Pilate is left here. And he's wondering, what am, I, what am I to do now? What am I going to do? And so he decides where we pick up today here in verse 1 of chapter 19. He decides that maybe blood will satisfy the people. I don't have to kill Jesus. Maybe if I scourge him, maybe if I beat him, maybe if he is, if he is tortured, then that will appease the people and I don't have to kill this innocent man. And we pick up there in verse one, it says, so then Pilate again took Jesus and he scourged him. Many of you know, and if you you know the story, we know that Jesus here would be taken into, deeper into the praetorium there where the Bible tells us there he was scourged. And what that would entail is Jesus there would be stripped of his clothing and he would be hung to a pole with his arms outstretched above him. And so too would he be hung to where his feet would barely touch, if touch the ground at all. He would just kind of hover above the ground there. And there a Roman soldier would take in his hand the whip, that cat of nine tails, this thick piece of leather that would come out with strands at the end. And on the end of those strands would be pieces of metal and bone and stone. And as Jesus is hanging there, stripped of his clothing, with everything exposed, there his back laid open, so too would the whip come down. And that whip would lacerate and it would cut. You see, it was designed to wear those, those strands with those pieces of metal and bone on the end of them. They would come in and they would wrap around the victim and so lacerate and cut and rip. As they would come down over the top of the back, it would rip it open and just lay it bare and there would be blood and there would just be, it would be torture to the individual. And this was used by the Romans as often an interrogation method. There is they would bring someone who, was, who, who had their mouth sealed and they would say, no, I'm not going to confess. And they would say, all right, we'll tie you up. And they would start out hitting hard. And as the, the victim would say, oh, I can't take this anymore and start to yell out their crimes, so too would the blows lessen. And they would become softer to where at the end of it, 
They would barely even touch the back of the one being interrogated. And of course, we know that Jesus, they're taking that punishment, had no crime, had no sin, had nothing to confess. And so the blows would grow ever stronger. They would not lighten. And Jesus there takes it. He takes all of it. And then we are told that they take a crown of thorns and they press it upon his head there. There what they do is they take that crown and these thorns over there in the nation of Israel, they would be about six to seven inches in length and they would be thick, much like a bodark, bodark uh, thorn that we have here in Texas. They would be thick and they would be sharp. And the Bible says that they didn't just place it on his head, but it's indicative of the fact that they pressed it onto his head. They made it to where it would press down and dig in. And then they took a robe, a purple robe, and they put it there on him. And no doubt, as his back was laid open from the scourge, so too would that robe there stick to those open wounds, and the blood would coagulate and would grab a hold of it, so that too, when it was ripped off, it would just rip the wounds right back open. And all the while, the soldiers there mocked Jesus, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, as they struck him with their hands. And the verse 4 comes. Verse 4, Pilate, he, he says, okay, this will appease the people. This will appease them because I find no fault in him. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to speak to the people and I'm going to show them this man. And the blood that he has shed, the, the state that he is in, that will appease them. That will change their mind. And so he goes out and it says, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then verse 5 comes. Verse 5 comes, and I want us to read this again, where it says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. As Pilate there presents Jesus to the people, he is presenting a man that has never been and one that will never be the likes of again. Because Jesus was the perfect man. He was the perfect man. And Pilate there comes out to them and he presents them to the people. Behold the man. Behold this man. Look at what I've done to him. Look at his body that was scourged. Look at his head that is dripping blood. Look at his face that the prophet Isaiah says was beaten beyond recognition. Pilate says, behold the man there. He says it to the people. And the Bible says to us on this Good Friday, behold the man. Behold the man who lived a sinless life, who had our sin applied to him. Behold the man who deserved no punishment and yet took the full brunt of God's wrath and our punishment that we deserved upon himself. Behold the man and see God's radical love extended to you and to me and to the entire world through his suffering, through his stripes, through his ultimate death. We do well to behold the man tonight, church. We do well to behold the man today on Good Friday and often to behold the man as well, to look on him and what he did for you and for me and for the whole world because of, again, that great love that God had, that great love that God had for the whole world so much so that he gave his only begotten son, that we, whoever would believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. That great love that, love that in Philippians, 
We see it said of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 that he saw his position in heaven with God the Father as not something to hold on to, not something to hold on to as robbery, it says, but as something indeed to let go of and come down to earth and live as a man, to humble himself as a man and live as a man and then die as a man. And we do well today to behold that man, to behold the man Jesus who hung there on the cross with the nails there through his wrist, holding him there, with the nails through his feet so that he could hang there. And as he was hanging there for a few hours, he would be hanging there and he would have to raise himself up to get a breath as the cross would kill by suffocation. And it was there, he, as he was raised up, every time he would feel the nails in his wrists, he would feel them in his feet. And there were people there around him, again, beholding that man, dying on the cross for them and for you and for me and for the whole world so that we could have hope, so that we could have life and peace with God that we don't deserve, that we don't merit by anything that we do. All that we deserve by our sin and by our life is, is, is separation from the Lord. But the man, Jesus, died in our place. He came and he lived a, sinful, a sinless life for our sinful state. And what we see is Jesus there go and take everything that we deserved on himself so that we could be saved. My friends, behold the man. Behold the man now, behold the man tomorrow, behold the man a week from now. What we need to do is behold the man and look to him as that, that is that perfect man who saves us and who wants to save you, who died on the cross to save you and to save me, to save sinners like you and me and those that are in your family, those that you go to work with, those that are your neighbors. They need to, as we do, need to behold the man, Jesus and know that he died so that we could have life with him. And today on this Good Friday, we look at his sacrifice that made a way, the only way by which we are saved. The only way that we are saved is if we behold the man, Jesus, and say that is not just a man. No, that's my Savior who lived a perfect life who died a cruel death that I deserved, that you deserved. We behold the man and we behold our God and our Savior who died for us and loved us and wants to save us. And that right there, that is what makes Good Friday good. That right there is what makes Good Friday good and makes Resurrection Sunday all the more, all, at all possible. Is it all possible? Without death, you cannot have resurrection Without sacrifice, we don't have salvation. And that is why Good Friday, why on Good Friday, we behold the man Jesus and remember that what he did was for you and it was for me. And we can remember that and so walk in the hope that it brings to us. And if where you're at right now, if where you're at tonight, you, you may be beholding the man for the first time. You know, you may be beholding the man Jesus for the very first time and realizing as the Lord there is moving on your heart that, hey, 
He did that for me, indeed. He did do that for you. He did that for you so that you, in your sinful state, and I, in my sinful state, could look to him and cry out and say, hey, I know that you did that for me because I'm a sinner. And I know that you do that because you love me and you want to save me. And that work made that salvation possible. And you can tonight behold the man, your Savior, Jesus Christ, and enter into a relationship with him. You can enter into a relationship with him that is forever as you walk with him, living in hope, not just for now and for this world, but also for eternity with him. And without him, you're separated from him for eternity. And so tonight, if you're beholding the man Jesus for the first time, I invite you to realize that his love brought him to earth. His love took him through all of this pain and this hurt. And his love kept him on that cross where he died for you and for me. And you can cry out to him tonight and he is faithful to save you. He's faithful to forgive you of your sins and save you and you enter into a life working and living with him. And he includes you in that work and in this life and it's amazing that he does that. And we have that opportunity. And if you do find yourself in that place right now, I wanna encourage you to cry out to God and say, Lord, save me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you came to earth because of your radical love to save me. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus did come and he died and then rose again on the third day, that we're gonna talk about this upcoming Sunday. If you believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, Jesus is faithful to save you. And it's not, it's not you attending a church service. It's not you even saying a prayer that saves you. It's your belief and your crying out to the Lord that does so. And I invite you to do that. I invite you to do that tonight. And if you need help on how to do that, you can call up here at the church, 903-785-9086. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can message us on our, on our social media platforms that, that you're watching this on right now. You can email the church at ccparis.mail at gmail.com. And we would love to walk through that with you. Don't let today pass away without you beholding the man unto salvation. But also too, if you tonight are in a relationship with the Lord, you do know him, I invite you tonight on Good Friday, as we have just read, to behold the man Jesus, one like there was never before and again will never be again, a sinless savior who came for us to live and to die so that he could save us and also so that he could live for us, advocating for us, making a way for us to come to the Father and ever making intercession for us in this life. My friends, Good Friday is good because Jesus loves you. Good Friday is good because we have salvation because of his great sacrifice. And I hope that as you behold the man, that becomes all the more of a reality to you as it does to me so that we show that reality to this world. Pray with me.